Welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and are you listening closely? Really? <laughs> My name is Steve Jeffrey, and I am watching closely. <laughs> <laughs> and today we'll be breaking down the 2006 Christopher Nolan film, The Prestige. Dean, how's your week been, mate? Uh, yeah, good week, good week. Uh, yeah, just gearing up for Chrissy still. Work's been very busy, but yeah, found some time to watch a couple movies, which is nice. What about you? Yeah, I've had a pretty busy week at work, heading into Christmas, haven't had time to watch too many movies. That's not like you. No, I know. Uh, I do have an interesting story to tell. Uh, I was at work the other day uh, listening to my music in my office and all of a sudden the music just cuts out. I'm on Spotify, so it's on uh, my data, so it cuts out and I'm like, yeah. I have no idea what's going on. Look at my phone yep. and it's on SOS. have just have no idea what's happened. So turning it off, you know, restarting it, getting work colleagues to figure out what's going on. Yeah. had no idea, couldn't do anything with it. So I give Kira a call and say, look, my phone's my phone's done. Uh, just call me at work if you need me. I get home. She's like, oh, is your phone still stuffed? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's done. Why? And she's like, Merry Christmas and gives me a Samsung Galaxy S8. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So it's a nice Christmas present from the wife. Oh, very nice. Yeah. That's why... Uh, bit, of, bit of an upgrade from your Apple garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did have an old iPhone 5 that was uh, well past its use-by date, I reckon. Oh, that's awesome. All right, Hendo, let's look at the IMDb Top 250 to get started. Has there been any major changes or any updates this week? Yeah, well, usually with the updates every week, you're usually focusing on the, the movies that have just come into the list. Not many other ones have done any drastic changes. So continuing on from last week, Coco has moved again. It's actually gone Down. Up, up. Up. What was it last week, 37? Yep, 37. It's moved up to 30 now mm. over a week. Uh, different story with Dunkirk. Down from... 121 to 148, so just uh, gradually declining. People must be hearing my review of it. <laughs> That's what the reason was. <laughs> you gave it a good review. Yeah, no, I did like it. Yeah. Uh, also, Thor has moved down from 195 to 206, yep. so that's gradually going down. And also, if you have a look down at the bottom of the list, we've seen uh, Battle of Algiers is out, Dog Day Afternoon's back in, and Three Colours Red is in the final spot now. Hmm. I've never seen any of the Three Colours. I thought you were going to say you've never seen any of the three movies. I was like, you haven't seen Dog Day Afternoon? Oh, I love Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. That's a good movie. We'll get to that maybe in the future, depending maybe. on where it's sitting. If it hasn't dropped out by then. Well, it dropped out last week. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and without further ado, let's get into this week's review of The Prestige. Shoot me. Come on. No, I can't shoot Do it. <laughs> How'd you like that? Well, how'd you do it? Magic. I'll perform this feat in a manner never before seen by yourselves or any other audience anywhere in the world. The audience loved it. This trick is top-notch. You need to celebrate. So, The Prestige, released in 2006, starring Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson, directed by Christopher Nolan. Now, Dean, did you know which director was initially lined up? to do The Prestige before Christopher Nolan? Yes, I do. You do? You've been doing your research as well. (laughs) I have. I did read that it was uh, Sam Mendes. Yeah, straight out of uh, his Academy Award nominated film American Beauty. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that they've they've gone after Nolan here having only seen his very first film following. Well, he actually 
home delivered that to Christopher Priest, the the writer of the Prestige. Actually, really? sent, it, sent it to him on a, a motorbike while he was off doing post production on Memento, <laughs> and Priest was uh, pretty impressed with that, so he chose Nolan instead of Sam Mendes. So, with a budget of approximately forty million, it ended up with a worldwide box office of one hundred and ten million, which uh, ended up being fifty fifth for the year of two thousand and six overall. Seems a bit low. No, one hundred and ten is fifty fifty fifth. Yeah, 55th. <laughs> What's so funny about 55th? That's not easy to say. <laughs> and with an 8.5 rating on IMDb over nearly 1 million ratings, it is sitting at number 49 at the moment, which is actually the fourth highest Nolan film under The Dark Knight, Inception, and Interstellar, with Memento at 50th. Wow. Yeah. So Nolan has five films in the top 50. Yes. Jesus. Solid. As well as that, it was also nominated for Best Cinematography and Best Art Direction. Didn't win, though. And in the spirit of the Armageddon, Deep Impact, Bugs Life, Ants Wars, this was released at the same time as two other movies that focused on magicians at that time. Do you know which two movies that was? Uh, That would be The Illusionist with Ed Norton, which I actually really, really liked. Can you name the third movie? It's never talked about with these things. Uh, It's... Does it have Hugh Jackman in it? It has Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson as well in it. Uh, I don't know. What is it? The Woody Allen film Scoop. Scoop. Have you seen that? Uh, never even heard of it until I saw this trivia. Yeah. I'm not a big Woody Allen guy anyway. He makes far too many movies. One a year at least. Far too many. <laughs> well, what Woody Allen movies? I've seen Annie Hall. Which is good. And I think you made me watch Match Point. Match Point's really good. Yeah, which was okay. Annie Hall's really good. But I haven't seen any other Woody Allen films. If you had to choose a Woody Allen film for me to watch now, what would it be? Since you're the Woody Allen aficionado. It would be Midnight in Paris. That's the latest one with Owen Wilson? Yes, yeah. Owen Wilson. It uh, I won't spoil it, but it's very different and not what I expected. Okay. Well, I won't get around to watching that anytime soon. Now, before we get into the breakdown, we must stress this is a very spoiler-filled podcast. We are going to be talking about this movie basically scene by scene, breaking this down. So if you have not seen The Prestige, we urge you to go and watch this now. Come back. Maybe even watch it twice if you want. This is a final warning. We are going to be spoiling this to our heart's content. So let's get into breaking down The Prestige. So we open up on the film with a pan across multiple old-timey hats. Top hats. Top hats, yes. Magician top hats. Old-timey, you could say. Yes. (laughs) With Christian Bale saying, Are you watching closely? Now, if you were watching closely, you would basically know that this movie just gave the ending away. If you were watching carefully the whole time, you realize that this opening shot of all these multiple top hats is giving it away. That This movie is all about clones two people, everything like that. I don't think if you were paying attention and studying the shit out of it on a first-time viewing, you would make that leap from that shot of a lot of top hats. I don't think you're going to get it from that exact shot, but it's basically saying if you're watching closely and realizing that this this, this is all about doubles and clones and stuff, you would know that by the end of this that Hugh Jackman is, is cloned. Bale is a is a clone. What? The, the hints are all There's through. No there. way. Listen from this shot of multiple not, top hats that you're going to know that Bale is a twin. Not from this shot, but it's basically it's telling you that are you watching closely at all these top hats? 
This is the theme of it. You're not going to get it. If, you've, if you're sitting down for your first time, you're going to go, oh, I know what it's all about. That's No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. Well, it sounds like you are. What I got from well, that line. This is going to be a great podcast. <laughs> what be... I got from that line is it's just setting up that this movie is going to be complicated. It is intricate and there are things to see. It's not just going to be what's you know presented on the forefront as to what is happening. You need to look to that next level. You need to expect the twists and turns. So we all know that the, the great reveal at the end is that, you know, Christian Bale is a twin brother. Hugh Jackman has been cloning himself to master this trick. Mm-hmm. So what I did on this rewatch is I basically went to look for all the clues that are giving you, that, they, that they're giving you There's throughout a this lot. movie. There is a lot. And I'm pretty sure I got a lot along the way. And that's yeah. what I, that's what my, my main focus was on this, uh, on this rewatch was, is to figure out just exactly where Nolan is putting in these little clues and hints to give you that big reveal at the end that uh, I've been telling you this whole time. Mm. So that's that's what I'm going to be doing mostly. Which is what which is what is like great about the twist of this movie is that it feels deserved. It feels it feels set up. It's not tacked on and doesn't make sense. It is you watch this again on a rewatch and it's very rewarding. Yes, almost necessary. I would say. I think it is absolutely necessary to rewatch this movie. So at this point, we get Michael Caine's character Cutter doing a bit of voiceover for us. He talks about the three-act system of a magician's trick. So we have the pledge, where we show something ordinary to the audience, then the turn, where we take the ordinary and make it do something extraordinary. People want to be fooled, followed by the prestige. Bring it back. The prestige is the key to every magician's trick. Now, did you know where this prestige word has come from in this movie? No. So, this is based on a book, and the prestige is actually the name that the book gives all of the Hugh Jackman clones. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I actually found that interesting, because in doing a bit of research in the differences between the book and the movie, it's to say it's loosely based on is probably generous. Characters are all same names and everything, it's about magicians, but it's very different. But yeah, that was just one one little difference I thought was interesting. While we also have Cutter doing his voiceover, he's doing a magic trick to who we find out later is Borden's daughter, Jane. And we also find out at the end of the movie that this is actually the last scene of the film that he's doing here. And this is also interspliced with the scene of Angie, played by Hugh Jackman, doing his trick that sets up his murder, basically, where he, he does his transported man trick with Borden played by Christian Bale going down underneath the the stage and witnesses him falling into the the tank and essentially drowning. Nolan's done well here with the voiceover from Michael Caine talking about the three acts of the of the trick where it's showing each part of that trick as he's talking about it. But when he gets to the prestige you don't see that happen because Angie is actually drowning and the transported man actually hasn't happened yet. Mm. And what I do like about this is we we know that Borden didn't try to kill him, but they don't show you trying do we? to... No, we don't. It fades out when, when Angie is drowning, and then it fades back into the courtroom. You don't see him trying to help him. That happens when we get to the end. It's we get strongly implied that Borden... Where? Where? The fact that he's watching him. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, exa- exactly. He's watching it, him. Yes. If you, if you saw a man drowning in a tank... Don't you think you'd try and save him? 
but you don't see him save, try to save him. You That's see him what watching I'm him. saying. It's yeah. implied that he is part of this. That, that he is trying to kill him. Exactly. And that's what you want that's what you want to know. If you if you knew at the start that he wasn't trying to kill him, then all this story is nothing. Mm. And the fact that they they fade away just like before he does start to help him is part of this whole illusion that Nolan is trying to show you. See, I actually I actually view that differently. I think that they're not showing you the first little part of it and then cutting away. I think they're showing you what Cutter is telling the jury. They're showing you his version of this event, not what actually happened, as we later find out. I don't think they've shown the little start of it and then you don't see the end. I think they're showing Cat and Cutter trying to set up Borden, and they're telling him he just standing there watching, wasn't trying to help at all. He's clearly responsible. I don't think he's trying to set him up, like you said. He is. Cutter is lying in the trial. No, he's not. He comes down and sees him standing there. He's lying. He comes down and sees... What really happened was Bales trying to smash the glass to get him out. If you go back to that last scene, he comes down and goes, what are you doing? And pushes him out the way, thinking that he's part of this. He thinks that he is actually, he, he doesn't, he isn't framing him. If he's framing him, then why does he help him at the end? Oh, you can't tell me to cut that. <laughs> there, owned. Advantage, Hendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, like I said, we've got Hugh Jackman here uh, playing the role of Angie. One other actor was considered for that role at the time, and that was Josh Hartnett. Do you remember that guy? Ugh. <laughs> he was in the movie O. Oh. He was also in... Sin City. Yes. All right, that's probably the best movie he's been in. I was going to say 40 Days and 40 Nights. And the um, the war one that had everyone in it. Black Hawk Down. Faculty as well. Man, those, he those was prolific. old movies. Prolific. In the late 90s. And... Whatever happened to that guy? Mm, don't look that up. I don't, I don't care. Also, did you know, or did you even realise that the two main role, the two main characters here, Alfred Borden and Robert Angier, is A B R A, Abra Kedabra. This whole film is a is, is part of magic. This, uh, it's just that's magic. a stretch. <laughs> no, that is intentional. That has to be intentional. That can't be coincidence. So we fade into the courtroom scene where Cutter is giving his testimony on the on the trial of Borden, supposedly killed His Angie. version of events. Yes. <laughs> that's that's what he saw. Yep. Now, you also get the first look at Fallon with daughter Jane up in the stands. Now, once you've seen the movie, you can quite you can sort of see Christian Bale. Sort of. I can't believe that I would have watched this the first time and not realised that that was Christian Bale. But maybe, I guess, I'm thinking back to a time when Christian Bale was really only known for Batman Begins to me. I know he'd done, obviously, American Psycho prior to that, but he wasn't a big-name actor like he is now. Do you know why you weren't looking for him? Because I wasn't watching closely. You weren't really looking, were you? <laughs> you you're not to supposed be to be looking. You're not supposed to be looking at Yeah, Batman. exactly. Yeah. So we get to the prison scene where the solicitor Owens meets up with Borden. Now, what I want to do with this film, because we know there's two different Bordens, I want to try and distinguish between the two different Bordens here. Here we go. Yeah. So what we're going to do is the Borden that is on trial, the one who gets hung at the end, he's the one who is in love with Olivia. We'll call him Borden 2. Okay? And the Fallon at this point, or the Borden that lives, is Borden 1. He's the one who is married to Sarah and has the daughter, Jane. Okay? Right. Why don't, instead of that, Borden, as exciting as saying Borden 1 and Borden 2 is, 
Why don't we go with good Borden and evil Borden? Yeah, okay, I like that because good Borden is the sympathetic one. He's the gentle one. He's yeah. the one who's, you know, in love with Sarah. And yeah, Borden to the bad, evil or bad? Yeah, he's not evil. He's bad. So good Borden, bad Borden. Okay, let's go with that. Good Borden is the one that survives. Bad Borden is the one that dies. Yes. Okay, so Owens is up here to talk to... Bad Borden. Bad Borden. <laughs> Bad Borden. Oh, man. That'll get tricky. That he's here to represent Lord Caldlow, who we do find out at the end is Angie, mm-hmm. saying that he's here to get his tricks, which is the whole thing he's want, been wanting to do the whole time. Yeah. And in exchange, he's going to adopt his daughter. And we get this little hint here. He starts talking about Fallon, saying, yeah, Fallon's going to look after my daughter. And he said, no, he's not. He, We don't know about this guy. Like, yep. he can't look after him. You know, obviously Fallon is good Borden and he, it's his daughter. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what he... That's Probably. What, yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, we don't know which Borden is the father. It That's his daughter. Which one? Good Borden. How do you know that? Are you serious? That's... You don't think bad Borden has had sex with Sarah? <laughs> no. This is... De- oh, I don't know. Like, I'm serious. This I don't think this is clear cut. I thought it was. Just nah. from... Oh, he's living, yeah, he's like, living uh, the life of this married Borden guy. I can see your point. I just naturally assume because he's the good board and he's the one who loves Sarah, You like I just assumed he was the dad. I mean, you'd hope so, but I, I, yeah. I, it's vague. Yeah, it they is, don't really it is address not clear that. Cut. If, if they did address that, send us an email at imdbjourney at gmail.com and let us know because I, I didn't pick up on that and I don't think you did either. Well, it's not mentioned. Yeah, okay. They All don't right, tell enough. us that it's, it's the good boardens. Uh, daughter. Fair enough, yeah. Okay. So, as a gesture of goodwill, Owens gives Owens gives Bad Borden Robert Angie's diary, and we do see Borden reading that in his cell. Now we get a cut back to the... Th- this movie has a lot of time jumps. There's a lot. There's probably like, I think it was about 160 or so different time jumps 146 in this movie. time jumps. There you go. Which is insane. Yeah. And he doesn't stylize or glam- glamorize these time jumps. It's just, bang. It doesn't tell you yeah. that it's happening. No, it, it is. Gets, it, gets quickly, it gets quicker and frantic as it goes along as well. And you need to be able to keep up with this. Yeah, you're at, you're at a trial and then they flash to Borden reading Angie's diary and in that Angie is going back reading Borden's diary. There are jumps on jumps on jumps. It is it's a very confusing movie. And again, this is what I'm reiterating. This whole, I think, part of this design is to trick you, is to get, is to get you to, to not be looking at the stuff you're supposed to be looking. All these frantic time jumps back and forth. You're too busy trying to think of, okay, what time is this? What's happening now? What's happening mm. now? When you're not really looking at the stuff that is right in front of you the whole time. Okay, so now we get a flashback. We get Angia going to Colorado Springs. Do we want to call? This, do we want to call these flashbacks because there, there's a lot. This isn't really a flashback. There's three different like timelines here. You've got the old the old timeline of their, them coming up as magicians. You've got the next timeline of Angie in Colorado, and you've got the current timeline of them in prison. So I wouldn't say any of these are flashbacks or flash forwards. This is just the different timeline. Do you agree? Sorry, sorry, everyone. I want to issue a formal apology for saying the word flashback. That might be the last. Would it, would it the last apology or the last flashback? Because there's a lot of flashbacks. <laughs> Anyway, so we go to Angie going to Colorado Springs. He's walking the top of this mountain. He's amazed that the whole town has electricity. Don't forget, this is currently set in 1897. He's going to see Tesla. Now, do you know anything about Tesla? 
Yeah, he did a lot of inventions or something. Yeah, so Tesla is a real a real life person who did do a lot of testing in Colorado Springs, and they're obviously playing on that. He was known as a bit of a mad scientist in his heyday. Yeah, and you see him meet his assistant, I guess, Ali, played by Andy Circus. I like how when Angie went up and touched the fence that he gets that electric shock and it's and it's that big boom in like it was so loud Do you notice how it, how it was much louder than anything else that happened in the movie yet yeah. honestly and, it, it seemed like comical to me well actually it fake well actually it wasn't uh, the only loud thing in the movie the other big loud thing was all the electric sparks that was happening during the original magic trick mm. and it's this this big emphasis on electricity in this movie, as you can tell. But every time there's like a big electric bolt or something, like, it is so loud and prominent compared to everything else. Like, yeah, like you said, almost like overbearing and borderline comical. It's it's trying to just emphasize that this this powerful and almighty electricity, which back in back at that time was, it's like mm. this huge scary new thing. And it, you know, most people could have been, most people probably feared all this stuff, and to have it like this, just right in your face, and ba- and as scary as it was then, it's uh, it's very good play on sound by Nolan here. So now we go to Angia reading Borden's diary, and we get, I'm not going to say flashback, but we <laughs> get a cut to a time that was previous to the time that we're seeing, otherwise known as a flashback to a magician show. Yeah, and this is where we get Borden and Angie starting off in their journey as magicians, being setups. They come up on stage. Yeah, to, it's clear straight away yeah. that they're a part of the act and they, not randomly chosen audience members. They do this water tank trick with this magician. Not sure who it was, but not really that important to the overall story. But we do meet Julia, which we do find out quickly that this is Angie's wife. And we set up this knot tying thing that's going on. So, Julia... Is Angie's wife. Yeah. Is this also the Lord's wife? I don't understand what you're talking about. So, Angie is living this double life as Angie. Yeah. Because he's, he's really a very rich Lord. Yeah. So, what I'm saying is, is this woman, Julia, is this his rich wife who he's brought down who's also living a double life? I don't think he had a rich wife. He, 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 does, he does say that he went away from his, his royalties and all that. Well, he doesn't say royalties at the time. He says he went away from his family to do this, and he changed his name and everything so that he, he wouldn't embarrass his family from what he's doing. I don't think he had so a... So by family, we me- we're meaning parents and he's, not... Yeah, his royalty family from England. Okay. And he comes and uh, leads this life. He throws on the American accent, and he becomes this down, yep. down I guess, this up-and-coming magician in the slums, maybe. Yep. That I don't think this his wife here was ever his ever a royalty wife. I think this was a person who he met in the magician world. So at this point, is it his plan to someday go back to the lord to the lord lifestyle? Or I don't know he... how these magicians think these. You, you can't even start <laughs> thinking about that with these people who are dedicating their entire life to this this craft and and all this. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you could say the same thing about Borden. When is he going to? When is he going to tell Sarah or Olivia eventually that he's a twin, or is he just going to keep the same no. right off this whole time? Exactly. Yeah, that's obvious, and he tells he spells it out many times. I don't think Angie was ever planning to go back to this royalty thing. It's, okay. it's only when he finally does get the better of Borden and wins, when he successfully frames him, that he realizes that he's there's no need to do this anymore. He's perfected the perfect trick. He's won against his enemy, and he goes back to his rich lifestyle. So after the trick, where they're out the back, and this is where Cutter sends Angie and Borden off to go see the Chinaman. We also get this quick little setup about the knot and the different types of knots that Borden wants to be using, but 
obviously not don't use it because it's not a wet knot and you can get caught. That's the setup there for what happens to Julia later on. So we see Borden and Angie off to this Chinaman show, Chung Ling Su. Now he was actually a real stage character created by a Caucasian American man. His name was William Ellsworth Robinson. He actually disguised himself as a Chinese man to cash in on the audience's enthusiasm for the exotic back in the day. He, mm. he basically, like this character, he lived as Chung. He never broke character while he was in public. He actually ended up dying in 1918 when uh, a bullet catch trick he did went wrong and his words my god i've been shot were both his last words and the first english he'd spoken in about 19 years so broke character for that mm. and, that's and where- i think i think this shows the the commitment and you see one of the bordens god knows which one talking about this guy chun lin su and the total commitment he has to his craft this is the trick this is a performance Right here. This is why no one can detect his method. Total devotion to his art. Not a self-sacrifice. You know? It's the only way to escape all this. You know? Which is exactly how Borden is living his life. Exactly. Little beknownst to us as an audience at this point. And here's where we get uh, a quick scene of Angie with Julia, and that's where Julia says to him his name should be the Great Danton, and that's why he's so adamant about keeping that name throughout the movie, because his wife touching. gave it to him. Yeah. Now, this is where we get probably one of the best scenes of the film, and that's the, the bird disappearing scene, where Borden, I'm assuming it's good Borden here, meets Sarah for the first time, and you see this magic trick, and you get the, the great foreshadowing of the little nephew. Look. See? He's all right. He's fine. Look at him. I also love the the scene straight after this where you see, I guess, Good Borden is fixing, like, taking the dead bird out of the cage, which is situated underneath the table, and he's going, you're the lucky one today. Big foreshadowing of what's going to happen to him and his brother with him dead, basically under the table, under the, the hanging slab. Mm, yep. Yep, he... Is the, it's a good pickup. Yep, he is the unlucky one, and that because he's the the one that went to go see the trick. Now we see Borden and Sarah heading to uh, Sarah's house. He wants to come in. She doesn't let him, and when she comes inside, he's already there. Now, yeah. how did he do this? I like the, she didn't like. Did he how, break in? How long had Borden been waiting in this girl's apartment? <laughs> yeah, and is it and is this the good Borden here? I think I think it's the good Borden that's been out with her probably all day or for lunch or whatever, and has walked her back to the house. Good Borden. And then you've got the bad Borden just chilling out because you can see you can see like Christian Bale is obviously a fantastic actor. You can see pretty clearly that the guy that's waiting there is more, I don't want to say aggressive, but assertive and a bit cheeky. Whereas the good Borden is not like that. He's more sincere. Good point. I have a I have a different view on that. I see it as the Borden that's out. Uh, of the house offers to, offers to come in. She says no, and he immediately's like, "Yep, okay, no worries," and backs off. Where the one inside is the one who wants to come in, who wants to see her. That's the good Borden. I see those two metaphors as the the bad Borden isn't interested in her and backs away, while the good Borden is already inside waiting for her, nice and happy, with a big laugh at the end. I, I can see it either way. I see you have a good point. I see I have a better point. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't see there's any like theme there. Where Bad Borden is just like as soon as she says no, he's like, "Yep, no worries," and just leaves. Where no, I feel like Bad Borden would push the issue. He's that's not something, interested in that's her. Something, no, that's something that Good Borden would do. Like if she's saying no, he would try and win her over with love. Bad Borden would 
you know, be you can't aggressive see, You about. can't see any validness to my point. None at all. Oh. Is this because of the whore? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, she... What, this could have gone so easily wrong. He's walking her up to the apartment as if to go in. She says, no, don't come in. And the other Borden's already in there. What if she said yes? She walks in. He's just sitting in there. How is that going to work? Maybe he quickly dresses as Fallon. Hmm. Okay, so now we cut to a scene at a magician stage show. We again see the same thing we saw earlier with Borden and Angie helping on this magician's trick, tying up the knots and putting her in the tank. Something goes wrong and Angie's wife inevitably dies. We know what went wrong. He did the wrong knot. Yes, obviously. Bad Borden did the other knot. He thinks. No. Let's get to that in a minute. <laughs> we see Michael Caine come out and try and smash this glass. Now look, You've got Michael, old, frail Michael Caine here trying to smash his glass, and next to him, you've got Batman, and you've got Wolverine. <laughs> why can't one of them just grab the axe and smash it through? Yeah, and why? So he's got the axe there in readiness in case something goes wrong. Has he never tried this? Never thought, hey, maybe I should check if the emergency axe can actually break this glass? <laughs> maybe the water tanks are so expensive, he can't really afford to smash a, smash a thing open. Should have asked uh, Angie for a water tank. <laughs> <laughs> there seemed to be a dime a dozen for him. Also, is there no CPR back then? Like, he, when Julia falls through the glass, he just shakes her head. <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> no CPR back then? No? Oh, that's a shame. Anyway, we get to the funeral, and I think it's Good Borden that comes up here. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly Good Borden. Yes, because when Angie asked what night, what knot he tied, he says... He doesn't know. I don't know. And, and he's he, being, yeah, he generally he's, doesn't know. He's being honest. Yeah. But you also notice here, it's subtle, but Angie actually breaks his accent. Oh, I didn't notice that. He does revert back to an, a British accent. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. He does revert back to a British accent for a bit and then goes back to the American. But yeah, it was a nice little subtle thing. And you can see this is where Angie starts his first obsession. Like he, it starts, This thing starts to eat at him that he doesn't know what knot he tied and this starts to enrage him up until at least when the transporter man trick comes along. But for now, he, he just doesn't. He can't fathom that he doesn't know what knot he's hide. And you can even see it when he reads the journal uh, from Borden. And he even says in that, I don't know. But we we do find out that this whole diary is there just to set up Angie. So he's still playing at him. And you just see him sitting there going, how could he not know? How could he not know? And he generally doesn't know because in the diary he says, half of me thinks that I did it, half of me doesn't. Mm. And then again, little hints here here and there that you know, this is a big clone twin thing going on here. So this is where we get to where Sarah and Borden are talking about the, the bullet catch trick that they're going to do. We also properly meet Fallon here for the first time. This is where I, th- I think that Fallon at this point is good Borden because this is where we also start the I love you things that are going on. Yeah. Where Borden tells Sarah she, he loves her and she doesn't believe him this time. Yeah, not today. Yeah. And this also sets up the the bullet catch trick and how that works because in the in the next scene he does try and do it but he gets uh, Angie come up on stage. You would have been able to surely Fallon at this point because Fallon was the one that called up whoever it was. Yeah, surely he would have recognised yeah. it was Angie. Yeah, I mean, what are the odds that he would actually pick Angie? Here? Yeah. So Angie does get up on stage, ask him again what not what not to tie, but being that it's good Borden on stage here, he generally doesn't know. But Fallon intervenes. And he does get his fingers uh, shot off in the process. Here. Oh, hold on. You forgot to mention this scene where Sarah 
tells Bad Borden that she's pregnant. Oh, that's right. And what's his initial response? His initial re- reaction is, oh my God, we should have told Fallon. Yeah. Like, if, if you watch it for this, you're like, why would you care? Who cares about Fallon? What, what, is, what kind of reaction is that? Yeah. It's yeah. obviously here that, um, yeah, it's it's not the good Borden that's here and it is the bad Borden. Maybe this lends a bit of credence to the fact that it is actually good Borden's kid. Could be. Or maybe he just doesn't care either way. It could also just be the fact that they're living the same life, so he might, he wants yeah. him to know as much as he does. Yeah. So some time passes here and we see that Borden's fingers haven't healed. This is, well, we do figure out eventually this is the other Borden, the, ba- yeah, the, the bad Borden has just had his fingers cut off at this time and that's yeah. why they're not healing. You know, obviously watching for the first time, you're like, hmm, that's a little odd. Actually, when I was watching it this time, I didn't even pick up on that. When no, because sh- you, don't, you yeah. don't see the time that's passed. Yeah. You just see, oh, gee, they're not healing. Like, what does she know? I definitely was watching it I'm like, that's ridiculous. How are they not healed yet? And then when the, the reveal happened, I'm like, man, I'm such a dickhead. <laughs> I've yeah. seen it so many times and I didn't even pick up on that still. Uh, yeah, and again, another big hint at the big trick he's got coming. He's been mentioning this, I've got a trick. I've got this yep. They've got this trick I'm going to be doing. And he's still talking about it. And obviously, we know that's the transporter man that's coming up. Yeah, so at this point, I was I sort of stopped and had a look at, you know, we're over, we're over 30 minutes into the movie now. And it's just time jumping all over the place. And I really was struggling to sort of put all the pieces together on what and what was meant to be happening. So this next scene, we've got Cutter speaking to Angier about the need for him to get his hands dirty. Yeah, and dirty they shall get. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we see the Cutter and Angier become partners here. He calls himself the Great Danton. This is where we meet Scarlett Johansson as Olivia, his new assistant, and we learn about the new disappearing pigeon trick. But we also see that when he's trying it on stage, Borden comes up in his disguise. He's even worse disguised than Hugh Jackman had before. I mean, again, how does he get picked out of anyone to come up on stage? To, it's very... Oh, it's just... I yeah. don't know. That was yeah. that was weird. But he does come up on stage and destroys his act, breaks the other woman's fingers, and yeah. basically ruins Angie. It's know. a great scene. Yeah, like it is. Very good I scene. Did, I didn't remember it and didn't expect the violence of the bird dying. It was it was really good. Yeah. So we do get a time jump to... No. Really? Yeah. A time jump. Not a flash forward. So... Not a flashback. It's a time jump. Time jump to Angie, who's writing his diary. And I did notice this nice little scene, this nice little shot of how Angie's writing. And he has the two fingers, the way he's had his hand palmed on the table, the two fingers are missing as Borden has his two fingers missing. Mm. It was a nice little touch there. But we see um, Tesla is willing to meet with him to build a machine for him. And Ellie takes him out into the, the snow where he gets all the, the light globes light up from all the electric electric currents that are flowing through. I thought that was a really nice looking shot. Oh, it looks magnificent. Yeah, fantastic looking Magical, shot if you will. Magical. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, and you can see that Angie is impressed with the real magic here. Not the trick, but actually doing something real. And this is what it would be like back then. All this scientist stuff. And that's how... These scientists are pegged as wizards here in this movie. Tesla, he's the real scientist, the wizard. He's the real magician here. He creates real magic. Whereas everyone else in this movie, they're the magicians. They do sleight of hand and they do tricks, stuff like that. Mm. That's you know that's how it was back then. So cutting back to earlier on, uh, Angie and Borden are at... <laughs> really? <laughs> Couldn't put your phone on silent? <laughs> I don't know how to yet. <laughs> So we see that Angie spots Borden and starts following him down the street and we see that he, well, Angie sees that Borden is actually happy now. He's got a, a wife and a kid and he gets extremely jealous. Like, this is a oh, life he should mass- have had. Yeah, massively jealous. Took yeah. him away from him. 
we also get another I love you, and this time it means it. Yeah. Because it's the good she says, See, today it's true. So back to Angie in Colorado, and this is where he meets Tesla, none other than David Bowie. Yeah. Uh, you know, full-time musician, sometime actor. Yep. More yep. notable for his role in the movie Labyrinth. Yeah, which I saw recently, and it was, you know, it was a pretty good film. Pretty good. Pretty What's good. your mouth pretty, that was Pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> David Bowie uh, initially declined this role. Did you know that? Yep. Yep. <laughs> good. All right. End of conversation. Let's say I didn't. Why? <laughs> uh, Nolan flew out to him personally to tell him that it was the he was the only person he imagined for the role, and that Bowie's larger than life persona would make the idea of Tesla building this teleportation device believable. Yeah, yeah. I, I found enough. this really odd because is, Nolan's after this larger-than-life persona, but the character of Tesla in this movie is actually very mellow. But I think the, the notion that it's David Bowie and, and his eccentric lifestyle would just give that a little bit more to it, like, oh, yeah, he's crazy, this guy. Oh, no, wouldn't that take someone out of the movie if you're relying on the fact that they have to know who David Bowie is and know that outside of the movie he's eccentric? Why wouldn't you put in any eccentricities to David Bowie here as Tesla? I don't know enough about Tesla. I don't think most people would know enough about Tesla and how... No, just was... reputation as a mad scientist. But I don't think a lot of people know about that. I think a lot of people, a lot more people know about David Bowie as this. You don't need to have David Bowie going crazy in this movie to know that, ooh, David Bowie, he's you know this eccentric guy. You just have to have that notion, that feeling. He doesn't want to have everything so flamboyant in front of you. That just have that notion that David Bowie is there just gives you that little mm. hint that, yeah, this guy's a little crazy. Yeah. We also get a good conversation with Tesla and Angie about the obsessions that they have. Oh. Go home. Forget this thing. I can recognize an obsession. No good will come of it. Why well, hasn't good come of your obsessions? At first, but I followed them too long. I am their slave. And one day they will choose to destroy me. If you understand an obsession, then you know you won't change my mind. So be it. Will you build it? I've already begun to build it, Mr. Angier. Yeah, that's a great that's a great little clip there, and it's it's so important for Angie's storyline and his obsession. So we see Angie, he goes to see Borden's new trick. And this is basically where the the rest the, the next part of this movie comes up. This this all about Would you call it Act Two? No, Because in the last two in the last two reviews, you've clearly defined Acts one, two and three, and I challenge you to find a one, two and three in this movie. Well, I do have that. I do have the pledge, I have the turn, and I have the prestige, because that is exactly what Nolan has done in this film. And I'll tell you when the turn happens. They tell you in this movie when it's the turn. <laughs> they tell you what's happening. So we see Angie has become has got his new obsession on, and it's about trying to figure out how this trick works. And Cutter does say, it's a body double. It's right in your face. Mm. And even Angie's like, no, it can't be that simple. But it is. This whole thing, it is. It's it a is. double. And apparently at this time, that was how this trick was commonly done. Yeah. A lot of tricks back then were used with doubles and stuff like that. So now we see that, I believe it's Good Borden, is showing that he's got a new house for Sarah and Jane. And we get a, a little exchange here about about Sarah claims that, oh, you didn't want to buy this house last week. And he goes, well, now I've changed my mind. Another little hint there that the bad Borden didn't want to buy it. Mm-hmm. And now the good Borden said, no, I do. He's back and forth, like you're changing your mind. And again, for uh, a little bit further on, when he's talking to Jane about the zoo as well, that's coming up. There's another little hint there too. So now we are introduced to Jerry, drunk Jackman. 
Like, seriously, how is this even possible that in this town they can find someone who looks identical <laughs> to Angie? This is in a town where cloning is possible. Mm. I think they could. This is in a movie town. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> and we also get another great line here. I don't need him to be my brother. I need him to be me. Another little foreshadowing hint of the trick that's at play here. See, so, uh, I found all this stuff on this on this go around. And it's like you said... Yeah, they're everywhere. And it's like you said uh, in the, the Die Hard podcast, when you're watching a movie to review, you pick up on all these little things that you never saw yeah, before. Yeah. And definitely in this movie, there was a lot to pick up on. Okay, so now we see Angie's performance or his interpretation of the teleported man. And it involves, basically by the end of it, the real Angie is bowing underneath. He can't see the crowd. He can only hear them. And it's his drunk Jackman wannabe that's up top getting all the fame and glory. And you can see that he's really struggling with this and that the crowd love is very important to him. Yeah, it's more it's all about the glory. Like the trick is a hit, but not when he's not the one standing there getting the praise. Yeah. Yeah, and he and he still doesn't think it's a perfect trick. He still thinks Borden's is the trick because he's the one that gets to be out on the stage yeah. when the reveal happens. Exactly. And even like we've got this little subplot with uh, Scarlett Johansson's Olivia and Angie, and she's like trying to kiss him, and she says, "What's wrong? Is it you know? Is it your wife? Are you thinking about your dead wife?" He goes, "No, it's this trick." So we're back with Angie and Tesla. They're trying the new machine on the hat, but nothing happens, and Angie leaves. Obviously, we're going to see this sets up all the multiple hats from the very first scene in the movie later on. The one that gave away the whole movie. Yeah, if you're watching closely. So per to Angie's wishes before when he told Olivia to go, basically be a spy for him to assist Borden. She does go there, and we see the little conversation between them, and it cuts off right at that point before you find out that she's actually betraying him. Mm. They cut it off, and it's, it's, it's again how we used it with the drowning at the start of the film. Nolan, he's using these time jumps pretty fantastic here. He's not making it so glaringly obvious, but more so with straight cuts. He, he does each one with a purpose, and that's to keep the secrets from you until the time is right to reveal them. He's already mastered this with Memento, and he's doing it again here in this movie. So we see that Jerry, Jerry Root, is starting to blackmail Angie and Cutter. He starts screwing up on stage. And that's where we find out that Borden has actually got to Jerry and basically put a, a, an idea in his head, or an inception, if you will, <laughs> that he has the power here. And we see in the next scene that they actually completely destroy Angie's trick. And yeah, rem- he, he deliberately stuffs up and he mocks Angie in front of the crowd. And the, cr- the crowd are laughing at him. Pretty much. And we see that they re- even Borden, not only does he sabotage his trick, he sabotages Angie. Mm. He removes the, the padding and uh, Angie breaks his leg. That's how he ends up getting his limp that I forgot about. <laughs> so Olivia comes back with Borden's diary that we know by now is a fake one that yep. he's made up. And you can see the obsession and how far this obsession has driven Angie when he tells Olivia. It won't bring your wife back. I don't care about my wife. I care about his secret. Really a far cry from where he was at the start of the film. In love with his wife, and now it's just yeah. she's not even an issue anymore. It's not even about the fact. It's not even about that Borden's responsible for her death. It's all about this trick. This is yep. all he's focused on now, and his obsession is just taking him too far down the the rabbit hole here. Okay, so now we see Angie following Borden down a straight, and then we see that Fallon is following Angie following Borden. They're going down some stairs. It's clearly a trap. Fallon falls down the stairs into a coffin. 
which is obviously lined up very perfectly. And Kane and Kane, Cutter and Angier are there, and they nail it shut immediately. Now, Fallon actually shoots Kane here. So we see that Borden is meeting up with Angier to basically do a, a safe transfer of a Fallon. A deal for Fallon, yep. yep. And so he gives him the, the keyword for his diary, which is Tesla, which we do find out is just a big fake, just yep. to get Angier back, Massive red yep, herring. back to America. You also see how much Borden... Because this, this is... This is good. Uh, sorry, this is bad Borden at the moment, as you can see, because straight away after the next scene is when they at the at, when they're out of the restaurant with Sarah, and he's obviously super mean to her and that. So this is obviously bad Borden, but you can tell how much they're committed to this act that they're going. Mm. He's even when he's digging him up, he's screaming Fallon to him. He's not he's not calling him by his actual yeah. name. He's, There's no one else there. Yeah. yeah, they never break character. That's right. So Angie travels to America to see Tesla without Cutter. Cutter is. You know, obsession is an old, is a young man's game. He's he's, yep. he's done with that. He can see where this is going, and he wants no part of it. So they they cut they cut their ties, and Angie heads off on this rabbit hunt. Mm-hmm. Now we cut to a dinner scene, and we've got Borden, we've got Fallon, we've got Sarah, and we've got Olivia. So we've basically basically got good Borden and bad Borden there with their respective women, Sarah and Olivia. Now you can tell that bad Borden, who's actually Borden, not Fallon, is drunk here. And he's acting really immature. He's not handling the situation well. And he gets in a fight with Sarah. Who tells Borden to stop performing. The other two leave. And Borden says secrets are their life. And she she doesn't like this. I mean, what wife would. But I don't think she's really realising the extent of how much lying is going on in this marriage. Not yet. Not yet. No. So this is where we can see the relationship starting to blossom between Bad Borden and Olivia. And I like this little subtle look you get where Olivia's, they're, they're moving along down the road and mm. Olivia's sitting in the carriage and you see Fallon give a little turn and glance at her. Mm. Another little little secret nod there. And this is also where we find out that Olivia has fallen for Borden. She has betrayed Angie. And, you, and the big reveal that she planted this notebook yeah, to Angie to send him off on this this hunt over to America. Yeah, that Tesla, that Tesla isn't the solution to the trick. Yeah. I thought this twist was actually fantastic. Like, I forgot about this watching this, and yeah. I, 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 was, I was blown away by it. I thought it was really, really clever. You can also see that there's no malice with what Borden's doing here. You, you hear that the note in the notebook, he says, I hope you find solace in what you're looking for back in America. Yeah. He's not saying, you know, I win, asshole, like that. Yeah, which yeah. is what Angie would say. Exactly, <laughs> yes. So Angie runs up to see Tesla all super pissed, but he does a test on Ali's cat, which doesn't work. Get it? Ali cat? <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> no, I don't get it. Oh, of course you don't. What's Ali cat? It's an, are we doing this? What is it? You don't know what an alley cat is? Just an alley, a cat that lives in an alley. Yeah, that's a common thing, an alley cat. That's not a thing. It's a thing, not in Australia. That's a stretch. This is worse than your Abra. <laughs> <laughs> So Angie leaves the place, but he does take. He does. Alley cat, fair dinkum. <laughs> That's what it is. No. It's Alley cat. Why else would he be called Alley? That's horrible. So Angie leaves pissed off. He does turn and see that there has been multiple clones of cats and multiple clones of hats that have come along. Well, one clone of a cat. No, Did there you... was more cats. There wasn't one, there were several. Well, there was one, though. Yes, well, how was. had they not seen all the cats before then? They never knew out there. They ne- well, the cats are just standing in that one spot. They're out, the, they're out in the field. How often are they going to go out in this random field? I'm sure the cats can move. They're not hats. Yeah. Then maybe they didn't come up to... Oh, maybe, maybe they didn't need food. No. No. Yeah, they're just like hats, apparently. 
So we're back with Borden and Sarah at their home, and this is we can tell that this is the good Borden again because he does say "I love you" in this time. He does mean it, but to, uh, to Sarah, which makes it so much harder when you don't. And we also get another hint, like I said before, of Jane saying, "Can we go to the zoo today?" And he said, "No, not today." And she's like, "Would you promise?" And he's like, yeah. "Oh, did I? Okay, we'll definitely go then." Yeah, yeah. And here we start getting the the hints are starting to to come at us uh, fast here because you see that. Good Borden meets with Fallon, who's bad born at the moment, asking to take her to the zoo, sort it out. There's these little things here. Mm. Fallon is starting like, to become... Like, why would Borden be asking Fallon to take his daughter to the zoo? Exactly. And it doesn't you... make sense. And he does tell it does tell Fallon that Sarah, she knows what's going on. She knows something's up here. Yep. And that's when we're starting to go, oh, uh, wh- what's up? What, what is up? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Yeah. So we come back to Angie, see, coming back to see Tesla to find out that the house has been burnt down. Uh, an electrical fire. Electrical fire. <laughs> but we do find out that he has left the machine for him. He tries it out, but we don't see what happens. We come back to Borden in the prison with Angie with Angie's diary saying, Now I must leave you at the turn and this is where he dis- this is where the it changes. Mm. So when I see you in prison for my murder. Ooh, big, big secret here that's been revealed. Yep. So this is heading into the second so part. So this diary is planted as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Many plants in this movie. So we cut to Sarah and Borden having a fight. You see flashbacks of good Borden and bad Borden. You can see that, obviously, she's struggling with the life of secrets and lies that she's living. And you sort of wonder, like, why wouldn't Borden tell his wife the trick at this point? Well, this is this is bad Borden talking to her, yelling at her. Yeah. Yeah, because he's been asked to try and sort to, to help him out. Before with good Borden saying, Sarah knows what's up, can you talk to her? Yeah, and you see Bad Borden. He can't control it. He's yelling at her. He's. She goes. She even says, "I know what you are." Did you know that actually was a improv line by Rebecca Hall? Yeah, I did. And she was she was worried that she said the wrong thing that she would give it away. Give away the ending. I thought it was really important to see that she she knew. Yeah. You know, in the end, she knows. And I just I wonder, like, why, like, you know, like Good Borden is really in love with her. Why? Like, they're married, they've got a kid. Why wouldn't they have just told her? Wouldn't their life have been easier if the wife was in on it? I guess this is this whole thing, this self-sacrifice, this keeping... This total commitment. Yep, total commitment to Coming the act. Soon. And again, Sarah asked if he loves her, and he said, not today. Not today. And you do get Jane sitting out in the hallway, and Fallon comes to pick her up, and there's this tender moment where he's hugging her, and that, mm. and, you th- and you're thinking to yourself... Why? Why is this so important? Why yeah. is this Fallon always part of this? Yeah. They, they're trying to get this the Fallon character into this. It's so obvious when you watch it again. Exactly, knowing. exactly. So, so Sarah, Sarah hangs herself here. Yeah, I mean, this is a, you didn't like it. What? Like what? She's going to leave her daughter with uh, the with if she knows the secret. She's going to leave her daughter with these two crazy, you know, blokes who. Oh, so you just didn't believe it would happen. I just didn't think there was enough cause for her to hang herself. Just take the kid and leave or something like that. I don't know if that's, you know, probable in those days, but yeah. maybe I'm looking at it from a 2017 point of view. Uh, I actually really liked that she hung herself here. Oh, did you? You yeah. like that shit, did yeah, you? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> no, I thought it was really sad, and it had, like, an emotional weight to it, which I felt like the film lacks. I don't think the the means was worth it. I don't, I don't think she had enough behind her to hang herself. She had too much... Well, who are you to say? <laughs> You don't know what she's going through. I'm re- I am reviewing this movie. I have a lot. To, I have a lot to say. So now we cut back to Angier with the machine. He's back in town, and he wants to do one last show. Why one last show? 
If the performance is what Jackman knows it will be, why would he limit it to only one show? No, he, no, I know, I know, it's a hundred performances, but why is it? Why is he ending it? He spent his whole time this obsession trying to do it. Why cap it at a hundred? Because this this whole thing is to get back at Borden. This is why he set, he kills himself every night. He sets he sets it up every night. He does this trick to frame Borden. It's not just a coincidence that on that one night, Borden's there and he frames him. He's setting this up because he knows Borden's going to come see this. He's going to try and figure out this trick. He locks himself in that tank and drowns himself every night in the hopes that Borden will be down there to frame him. So you think at this point, the magician side of it is gone? There's no enjoyment for him to do this? There isn't. There's not for him. His obsession now is to beat, is, is to, is, yeah, is to beat Borden. He still wants to get back at him for his wife. He says that at the end. He does when he when he says I'm taking everything from you just like you took everything from me. Mm. His obsession is to beat Borden, and that's why he has this one show because he does have this life to go back to. And I love how when they show the promoter the actual trick, he says, "Pardon me. It's very rare to see real magic." And again, showing that the fact that real magic is essentially science even though the clone thing is legit unbelievable and unreal, coming out of the, the Renaissance era, things like electricity, yeah, would have been considered real magic back then. Yeah. So here we have Borden, or Bad Borden and Olivia at lunch, and this is where Bad Borden says that he never did love Sarah, which is true, he never did. Only a part of him did. Yeah, exactly. More hints in your face that, about this oh. half-life. And, and, and you can see that uh, Olivia can't deal with this cold-blooded person. can't fathom it. Same, same she as, can't fathom it. No, she says it's inhuman to be so cold Yeah And so she leaves him And this is where we get the first Angie performance Uh, It looks like uh, Good Borden is there for this one He does see the trap door when the trick happens But he can't work out how he gets from point A to point B so quickly Mm. You can see that he starts to obsess over it now You get uh, Fallon, which I believe is... The bad Borden at this time, he does see all these, all the blind helpers wheel out the what looked like the big box, which we know is the water tank of the dead yep. Angier of the night, and we get good Borden telling bad Borden to leave it alone. Like we're done. I'm not going to obsess over this. He's yep. we're finished with him. Just leave him alone. And obviously, bad Borden doesn't listen to him there because he does go to see him, and this is where we revert back to the original scene where bad Borden. Heads on down to see how he does it. We see Angie drowning, and this is where we get the reveal that he's he didn't try to kill him. He's trying to save him. He's trying to save him, but unfortunately, he is found guilty, sentenced to hang. And here we see that Owens tells Cutter if he wants to keep this Tesla machine that he wants, he needs to go visit this Lord Coldlow because you know obviously it's Hugh Jackman, it's it's Angie, mm. and he's keeping all the all the machines and prestige products. So Borden gets a visit. From his daughter. Is it his daughter? We don't know. (laughs) But he gets a visit from her and a visit from Caldwell, who, surprise, surprise, Mm. it's Angie, now with a British accent. Yep. (laughs) Yep. He's been really covering up his real life here. Also, now that I think about it, it's a bit strange for an American to be living in England during the during that time as a wannabe magician. Also, how he got all this money all of a sudden to be throwing around. You know, he goes to see he like we said before, this little wannabe magician who's living down in... How he got all this money. Yeah, but no, no, I'm saying, we know why he got this money, but how come we didn't pick up on the fact that when he goes to see Tesla, he's like, money is not an option, don't worry about that. Like, when yeah. did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. 
All these, yeah. The, yeah, more hints of, of uh, all these uh, hidden lives that are going on. The thing is, money wouldn't be a um, problem for Tesla either. It was a it was a problem for Tesla. He it had didn't no have money. to be. He didn't have any money to he fund had a literal cloning machine. He didn't know that he needed. Yeah, a, I know. Yeah, I know he didn't know. <laughs> but now that he does. He should have kept that. <laughs> should have cloned, cloned some money. Like a fortune. Also, I feel like this is where we we kind of get the shift between, like before I talk about this. Who have you seen as the... Is, is there a hero and a villain in this thing? Have you seen either one as one for now? Honestly, at this point, no, not really. They're both doing things to each other that, you know, aren't nice. Like, you yeah. know, they're shooting each other. One's killing the other's wife and you can, there's no, all this sort of stuff going on. You can't even say that he killed his wife. He didn't mean to do it. Like, he did... He She was part of it. She agreed to this not... She was saying but backstage that time, you know, I can I can slip this knot. Mm. I'm I can do this. And she gives him the nod when he goes to tie the knot as well. So it's yeah. not like he did it on purpose. Like it's not like he knew he was gonna kill her. Yeah. So you can't really see that Borden is this villain who killed his wife. It's an accident and he's super apologetic. I think it's pretty clear here at this point, Jackman is a villain. Yes, this is where we get this turn of this villainous Angie slash Caldo who's basically setting Borden up to die and stealing yeah. his daughter in the process. Really yeah. just like, Why does he need his daughter? No, nah, he doesn't. This is just taking it too far. And this is where we get a really good line from Caldlow. You always were the better magician. We both know that. But whatever your secret was, you have to agree. Mine is better. So now we get Cutter, who meets with Caldlow. Uh, shocked, disgusted in what he's doing. And you know, yeah, this is where Cutter sort of turns on Cordload here. Yeah, do we want to keep calling Cordload? Should we call him Angie? I would prefer Angie. Let's go, okay, let's go with Angie. Yeah. <laughs> too many, too many names. So we get our final meeting between Borden and Fallon. Good Borden. Yep. Really, this is where we start to set this up. You see, he's. You see, we get some really good close-ups of Fallon here, and you can start. And you know, even if you, I think, if you haven't seen this before and you watch it the first time this is where you have the opportunity to see Bale here yeah yeah, very close up and even more hints here where he says you know you were right I should have left it alone it's yeah. like we knew that Borden said that yep but why is he saying that to Fallon now like Fallon had said it yeah yeah uh, and bad Borden says to good Borden you know I'm sorry about Sarah I get, yeah and again like why is he telling him all this yeah, yeah all these like, things who is Sarah to Fallon exactly so now we get a nice intercutting scene of Angie and Cutter putting the machine down into Angie's prestige theatre and the hanging of Borden. And he does whisper to the guard, are you watching closely? Again, I think this is Nolan telling us, yeah. be paying attention. Did you, did you catch his last words? Did you have to look it up? The first time I watched it, I didn't hear it. I actually rewound it. Yeah. I, 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 I watched it three times and I could not pick up what he was saying. I had to click on the subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, once Abra you hear Abra. it... And, of course, Abra is a very important word in this movie, isn't it? It is. The initials. That's the one. Is it, though? Because his name is Caldlow. <laughs> Maybe. It's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we get that, that big build-up, the abracadabra, the hanging, and then you see, before this, you see Cutter leave the, the theatre, and you see... It, look, it does look like Fallon from behind yep. when he's walking up. And that, that look up from Angie, and then bang, that gunshot. Yep. And this is where you get the prestige, the real trick, that this is Borden the whole time as a 
twin brother. Yep. And everything starts to come out here now. Yeah, the flashbacks are fantastic. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just amazing. Especially the, the showing the sacrifice of cutting off the other fingers yeah. on the other Borden. That was really powerful. Pretty brutal way to do it too with a um with a chisel and a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure what the alternative would have been. An axe. And you would axe off precision <laughs> only the, two fingers. Put the fingers. axe there with a hammer. What you do is you'd end up cutting off three. <laughs> then you'd have to axe off the Just other one. Off the third hand. one. <laughs> Just lop off the hand. And this, it also we see that Borders are making all their sacrifices. You find out, you know, that bad Borden is in love with Olivia and good Borden is in love with Sarah and, and it, te- it tore yep. them both apart. But you also see that Angie also had to make his sacrifice because at this point, you don't know. If you're watching it for the first time, you don't know that he's been cloning himself all these times. You're only aware. You are only Don't a- you? No, you don't. You know he does the machine every time. You have not found out that he's been cloning himself all the, every single time. Well, you see him do the performance. You see him go from one end of the theatre to the other. Yeah. So, obviously, and you know that when he uses the machine or when anyone uses the machine, from all the hats and all the cats, the multiple cats, not just the one, you can tell that he's cloning himself. Yes, but you don't know that he's been constantly cloning himself every single time. You see him clone himself that when he shows the promoter, and then it cuts to... But he uses the machine every time. But but he goes down the trap and he... You're saying you're meant to think that he uses the machine once to create a double... And then he just fakes the machine every other time. He, he see you see the clone drown here, but you don't see the clone come back up on that one. You yep. think that this is this is wrong. Something's something has been yep. yeah. And this is where he's like, I I know all about self sacrifice. You don't know what I what I do every night. Mm. And he that, kills himself every night. Exactly. And that that is the very final scene. You when the, that that last reveal that he has that in this prestige theater is all of his dead bodies in the tank. Now, why why does he keep them? I don't know. No. What's, what I I ask the same thing. Why yeah. does he keep them? Yeah. I mean, are they hard to dispose of? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's to have that. Are that, they trophies for him? Maybe, maybe to reveal at a at a point later on in his life. Hey, look what I did. Ooh. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> now, I know that it, we we know that he kills himself every night. But did he really have to do that? I mean, why couldn't he just ha- uh, have one clone, and they could just work together, like Borden? Yeah. <sighs> So this is where we get that first scene again of what you want to do it. <laughs> you can't. You just you just started recording mid yawn. <laughs> oh, I, st- I yeah, but I didn't stop start talking until you finished. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay, I'll start. Because I'll be like, do yawn. Okay. Okay, go. And this is where we get that scene that we saw at the start of the film with Cutter and Jess, and he's teaching her. He's not teaching. He's showing her the trick of the bird. And yep. right after that, you see Borden come in. And it's and it's it's intercut again with that speech from the start, yep. and say so he talks about how the the trick is to bring him back, and there he is, yep. he's brought back. Borden gets as happiest ending as he could get, I guess, you know. Nice. Yep. And of course, we get that while we're getting that talk about you want to be fooled. You get that final shot of all the multiple Angie's dead. Yep. Yep. And of course, arguably the best part of this movie is the start of the credits, where we get Tom York's song "Analyze." Do you know who Tom York is? No, I turned it off. <laughs> I actually let the credits play through. It's a really good song. He's uh, the lead singer of Radiohead. Oh, okay. Of course. Of course. My favourite band yeah. for the record, guys. Dean is a Radiohead aficionado. But aside from that, that is the end of The Prestige. It is. Any last words? All right, so what are your final thoughts? All right, so for me, Nolan is one of the best in the business at the moment. He has... No bad movies with me. Yes, spoiler alert, every Nolan film we'll talk about along the way here, I would recommend. 
I mean, the lowest score in one of his movies on Rotten Tomatoes is 71%. They're all fresh. It's a testament to a great director who has put the time and effort into every movie, and the prestige is no different. This film is exactly what the overall premise is, a magic trick. Nolan takes you on a well-crafted performance, complete with its own pledge, its own turn, and in the end, an amazing prestige. And he doesn't necessarily hide it. It's right there for you to see the whole time. But like most magic tricks, he diverts your attention to focus on, you know, the rivalry between Borden and Angie, you know, strong themes of obsession and self-sacrifice and, you know, who, who can continue to one-up on each other. He keeps your attention to these continuous time jumps with great dialogue, you know, coupled with some great performances and in particular, you know, Jackman, Kane and Rebecca Hall. I thought those three were the, were the standouts here. All these things make for a, a great film. But it's the overriding magic trick that catapults this to amazing for me. To have this finale come at you and knock you one way and then another and then again the other way, it blew my mind. And to revisit it every time to be told that, hey, I told you everything you need to know from the beginning and you just weren't watching closely, it boggles my mind. The, the fact that he's presenting this story of a magic trick and the stages you need to go through with it, all while achieving that with the actual audience themselves, all in plain sight, with all the hints we've talked about today, from the, you know, where's his brother, to the, to the I love yous, it's incredible. Nolan creates a genuinely fantastic piece of cinema here, and one that is not only recommended to be watched multiple times, it's basically required, and those are the reasons why this is an amazing film for me. Dean, what do you think? I don't think it's required viewing. Um, all right. <laughs> no. Prestige is a very smart and complicated movie. I almost feel it's too complicated. It's designed to keep the audience in the dark, slowly giving clues throughout. The old time that the movie is set is created perfectly and captures the difficulties of being a magician in that time convincingly. Honestly, it's a difficult movie for me to rate. On one hand, I do struggle to pick out any major flaws with it. On the other hand, it's not a movie I'm in love with at all. It could be because it's so complicated that it actually requires multiple viewings to fully understand, and you cannot appreciate it without really digging deep on rewatches and reading some analysis on it. It also could be I didn't really have any emotional connections with any of the characters. Yes, Jackman was good, but I, I didn't connect to him on an emotional level. Either way, it's a good film, not a great one, and one that I feel is generally overrated by most, yourself included. Well, this is our first disagreeal on a movie. Mm. Obviously disagree with you there. You've heard my thoughts. Yep. Okay. Let's... Uh... Like, it's really good. It's just... It's not... I don't feel it's that entertaining. I'm watching it, and I've got to... It's, it's so much hard work trying to figure out what's going on, and it shouldn't be. Like, I get he's creating this this magic trick and I know what he's doing and it is clever. I just felt like it was a lot of work watching this movie. All right, well, let's get into... I was the best because the crowd loved me. Where we rank every movie we review. Dean, I'm curious now. You've got Die Hard, then Django. Is Prestige higher than Django? No, definitely not. So, Die Hard, definitely number one, followed by Django Unchained and Prestige bringing up the rear. What about you? I'm assuming... You like it more than Django. Yeah, I do like it more than Django. I, f I think this is just a more complex film and that I get more out of every time I watch it, where Django, on the third time I watched it, it, it started to slip for me. The question is, is it better than Die Hard for me? It's not a question. No, Die Hard is, <laughs> Die Hard is still number one. Die Hard is just, is, you've heard it, it's, 
it's a, a fantastic. They're both they're both amazing films to me. But I, if I had the both the Blu-rays in front of me, I'm putting Die Hard on, and I'm probably putting Die Hard on this week too for Christmas Eve as well. I might watch Elf. <laughs> <laughs> we may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is, and this could be it. Ah. Okay, so we've only got the one review this week uh, from my brother Shane. This is what he says. The more I watch this movie, the better it gets. The Prestige has many areas which it excels in, and they all feed off one another. The story wouldn't be as remarkable if it was presented in a different way. I can't imagine another director's take on this movie. Nolan builds an impressive framework in setting a contemplative, atmospheric tone. He guides the audience back and forth through a complex timeline, and even though we're never explicitly told when things are happening, but the end of the film, it all pieces itself together. The Prestige is highly intelligent and captivating. It's a film that's made to pass through multiple viewings. I've seen this film maybe ten times, and yet there are still new things I'm picking up on rewatch. Nice. It is very much a study of performance and manipulating audiences for their own entertainment. The magicians in this film bring us back to the stage where they were the kings of performance and art. Perhaps Nolan considers himself a modern-day magician. The two leads, played by Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, are involved in a fascinating display, first as friends and rivals, and then as mortal enemies. The film has a rare quality in that we see each of these characters not only in how they individually perceive themselves, but also how they perceive each other. Each believes they are the hero in their own narrative, but as the two narratives coexist, they also each become the villains of the film at the same time. Interesting. Hmm. As excellent as Jackman and Bale both are in the film, I actually feel that Michael Caine steals every scene that he's in. Perhaps it's his sheer charisma, but then Caine also takes on the role of mediator between the two magicians, and also the mediator between the audience and the film. While The Prestige shared some aspects with Nolan's previous films, they were quite small. This is arguably his most original work since Memento. He's only had one work since Memento. Not just because... Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. He had Insomnia as well. Not just because Insomnia was a remake and Batman Begins is a reboot. The Prestige had a unique subject and was presented in a unique way. Thoroughly entertaining from start to finish, and I think it can just squeeze into five stars. Glowing review there. It's my kind of review. Thanks for that, Shane. Look forward to hearing your review next time. If you want to send in your reviews, don't hesitate. Email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. You can reach us at Twitter at imdbjourney, and you can also follow us at Letterbox at imdbjourney. Just search for imdbjourney, and you will find us. So, what's next? All right, Hendo, let's pick what the next movie we'll be reviewing will be. Hit that random number generator. All right, here we go. Between 1 and 250, we're going to get number 74. Jeez, we're hitting 74, these 100. another high one. What is it? Okay, 74 is Vertigo. All right, we're going to go some old school we're Hitchcock. Go 1958. Uh, this is going to be a good one. All right, so that's the end of our breakdown review of The Prestige. I hope you've enjoyed it. So stick around, guys. We're going to talk about what else we've been watching this week, but that's going to do it for The Prestige. How does he do it? You want the truth. Nothing is impossible. I'll break it down, bro. No more secrets. Secrets of my life. 
Okay, so now we're going to talk about what else we've watched this week. Just remember, as always, in this section of the podcast, this is spoiler-free. So if you haven't seen these movies, that's okay. We give a non-spoiler review of each of them. So, Hendo, what have you watched this week? So I went back and rewatched Room. This no week. way, really? Yeah. Man, I love that movie. Yes, you do. And I remember when I first watched it, uh, I was kind of spoiled by the trailer. Kind of spoiled. If you have not seen Room, do not watch the trailer yeah, for it. Yeah, the trailer sucks so much. I remember when I saw that trailer and then I watched the film, I, it really must have soured my experience because I just, when I watched it the first time, I felt the second half didn't live up to the first and while I did feel it was a good movie, I didn't think it was as good as you obviously thought it was. But I actually found both halves to be very complimentary of each other on this mm. rewatch. Yep. Some superb performances from Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay. Even Joan Allen put in a really good performance for the limited screen time she had. For Joan Allen. Yeah. Much better this time around. And like we said, if you haven't seen it, for the love of God, avoid that trailer and enjoy this uh, great film. On the other spectrum here, have you ever gone and rewatched a movie you saw when you were younger and you just realized, man, that actually is a really, really bad movie? What, like Flubber? I was thinking Basketball. Cause <laughs> oh, I no that. way! I watched <laughs> Late One Night, I was flicking through Netflix and I saw Basketball. I'm like, you know what, I love that movie. When I was like 14, and I watched it and I was like... <laughs> It's really not that funny. Really? It's not. Like, these, like, I don't know what, like, it, mu- it must have been just that childish humor that I had. Oh, dude, check it out. One of Britney's mum's pubic hairs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. It's oh, like, man, there's another one. I feel like. Oh, that's timeless. I feel like what I've just watched with basketball is the equivalent of what you see with Billy Madison. Billy, you mean that horrible Adam Sandler movie? Yes, exactly. Billy Madison, and I reckon if I go watch Billy Madison now, I might think the same thing. Yeah, because just to uh, explain that a bit, I never saw Billy Madison when I was younger. I only saw that when I was you know, over 20, and I, I yeah, I did not get the hype for that movie at all. And, and, the, I, and I do like um, Adam Sandler's early 90s work. And I'm the same with basketball here. I thought it was like super funny when I was younger. So many laughs. I mean, how could you not? The creators of South Park with you know the director of The Naked Gun and all that. It was just fantastic. Steve I watched it again. Perry. Steve Perry. Yeah, a couple of chuckles, but nothing that... I, I never go back and watch that again. It just, yeah, hear your mum's going out of squeak. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Come on, it's, it's funny. Was, yeah, Come but, on. But I can't justify... Appreciate it for what it I is. I can't justify an hour and a half movie... Just for that squeak joke. I'll just go find that scene on YouTube from now on. But doesn't you lose the build-up to it, though? No, there's no build-up. Yeah, uh, basketball, not a good movie. Savage. So, so I also watched Columbus, a movie that came out this year. I don't think you would know much about it. No, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't had the chance to watch that one yet. It stars John Cho, who is most notably known as Harold from Harold and Kumar, as well as Sulu from the new Star Trek trilogy. Here he plays Jin, a Korean-born man who finds himself stuck in Columbus, Indiana, where his father's in a coma. There he meets Casey, a young woman played by Haley Lou Richardson, who wants to stay in Columbus with her mother, a recovering addict, instead of going out and pursuing her own dreams. There's a general theme of architecture with this movie, with Jin's dad as a famous architect who never took any interest in his son who didn't pursue architecture, and Casey who has a a great deal of knowledge in a lot of the architecture around the town. With that being said, the movie takes that architecture theme and opens that up, as the cinematography in this film is absolutely stunning. Every shot is obviously meticulously planned to perfection. Lots of symmetry and big green fields and trees... I would have really liked to see this on a big screen just for that aspect. 
I know it's not going to happen, but I would love to see this get nominated for an Oscar for a cinematography. It's that good. Why won't it happen? I just don't think the Oscars are going to recognize this sort of movie. For is, they, is it a drama? Yeah. Why wouldn't they recognize it? For cinematography, I just don't think it's a big enough movie for them to to check it out. Anyway, the interactions between Jin and Casey are also really good. Both actors put in some solid performances and their time together in Columbus, basically walking around, talking about their lives, is really reminiscent of Lost in Translation. Do you like Lost in Translation? I don't know. I've I've seen it once and I don't really remember it. Okay. Well, yeah, I felt like it was a bit like that. Uh, very fluent and natural, the whole thing. Overall, just a really nice, feel-good movie and it's definitely worth a watch. Fantastic. So, Dean, I hear you went and saw a pretty big film over the weekend. Yeah, one of the biggest. I saw, not The Prestige, I saw I saw The Last Jedi, the yeah. latest Star Wars movie. Okay, where to begin? It's hard to talk about this movie without giving anything away, but don't worry, I will. This will be a quick, spoiler-free review. I have read, since seeing it, I have watched a lot of um, reviews for it and read a few articles on it, and I've found that a lot of people are very hard on this movie, a lot of mixed reviews. Whilst I do agree that it's not a perfect film, in general, it is an absolute blast to watch. It's intriguing and keeps you guessing throughout, often not going in the direction you'd expect it to go. There are a couple of subplots that were a bit boring and pointless, with some politically correct themes shoehorned in that did get on my nerves. But, in general, it's very good. The main characters are fantastic, with Kylo Ren again being a standout, stealing every scene he's in. Mark Hamill returns in a powerful performance as an older hermit Jedi, and Daisy Ridley continues on from her solid work she did in The Force Awakens. The Last Jedi is a worthy addition to the Star Wars franchise, and I can't wait to see the conclusion to this amazing trilogy in a couple of years. Highly recommend it. All right. Definitely make sure I go and see that when I can. All right, that'll do it for this week. As always, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see you next week for Vertigo. Vertigo. Have a good week, guys. Bye.